purposes of civil liability, the torturer has become, like the pirate and slave trader before him, an enemy of all mankind. But we've also seen uh, challenges as uh, two food crises, the biggest financial and economic crisis since the 1930s, and the WTO has remained solid in the midst of this tempest. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Alien Tort Statute should not afford a cause of action to address the extraterritorial conduct of a foreign corporation. 751 Europeans have been elected to directly represent citizens from 28 different nations in all their diversities, with all their differences, with all their different outlooks on lives. But you all come together here. Welcome back to Nomosfal, a legal podcast series emphasizing the human experience of the law. The episode we have for you today is a little bit different from previous episodes. The inspiration for this podcast came to us from a research project coming out of the University of Leiden here in the Netherlands. We are pleased to say they contacted us to bring more attention to their project, so stay tuned because the information they have uncovered, although not for the faint of heart, is critical and public awareness is a step towards change. Now, before I mention anything further on the report, I would like you as a listener to take a moment and think about your current job, career or any work you've done in the past as an employee. Generally speaking, if you are here in the Netherlands, another EU country or one of many other countries globally, your position of employment is relatively voluntary. I know we all need to make money to live, however if something was unbearable or wrong with your working conditions, you would leave. Or even better, have the option to seek legal advice. Now take a moment to imagine if your employer has the power to tell you where to go and when to do it, only allowing you to go from home to work. In fact, that is all you had time to do because you were working 12 hour workdays, most of the time 6 days a week. That's not even counting overtime and public holidays. Contesting such conditions would be difficult because you never received a labor contract and when you asked about your compensation, you were told you wouldn't receive it, or at least most of it directly, because you might lose it or spend it the wrong way. And finally, when you've had enough and want to leave, you realize you can't, because you don't have your passport, your employer does. Well, this comes pretty close to how EU legislation defines its forced labor laws. The 1950 European Convention on Human Rights states in Article 4 the prohibition of slavery and forced labor. The article says in paragraph 1 that no one shall be held in slavery or servitude, and in paragraph 2 that no one shall be required to perform forced or compulsory labor. On top of that, the United Nations has a specialized agency called the International Labor Organization, or ILO which seeks the promotion of social justice and internationally recognized human and labor rights. So, with high standards and enforceable laws, surely forced labor in this sense, although it may happen, does not happen in Europe. This brings us back to the report. As of July 6, 2016, Leiden Asia Center and the Slaves to the System Project released a project titled 
North Korean forced labor in the EU, the Polish case. How the supply of a captive DPRK workforce fits our demand for cheap labor. This is that moment we will like to tell the optimists it isn't what it sounds like. Unfortunately, it is exactly what it sounds like. When we think of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, better known as North Korea, we often think of an isolated, dictatorial regime that tolerates human rights abuses and maintains a hostile attitude towards other countries. This may be attributed to a number of factors, partially due to scarce access to unbiased journalism or any news at all about North Korea. But what is clear to the majority is that for a long list of reasons, it is not a country that we would opt to live in. And if you are listening to this podcast, it is pretty safe to assume you don't either. Instead, we, and lots of our audience, live in the EU, which is a union that has established quite extensive mechanisms to protect human rights and labor standards. And we've told you about this. One could therefore safely assume that in the EU, as a result of our national European laws, human trafficking, forced labor or modern-day slavery are almost non-existent, right? Wrong. Today we will tell you a story of modern-day slavery taking place within EU borders right now. It is a story that shocked us as we are law students who normally learn about human rights and labor laws that the EU has in place. So when we found out that despite these human rights and labor law advancements, modern-day slavery still takes place within the EU right now, we were shocked. Recently we were approached by Leiden University more specifically their Center of Korean Studies, to look into their very recent report, Slaves to the System. This report shows forced labor of DPRK workers within Poland taking place right now. Of course we went to Leiden to interview the academics who wrote the report. Hey guys, it's Catherine again. This time I'm with Valentine and I'll get him to let you know what we're up to. Hi everyone, this is Valentine. I'm here with Catherine at Leiden University, the Faculty for Humanities. And we're interviewing Remco Breuker and Imke van Gardingen, specifically on the issue of the North Korean workers within the EU. But we'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Remco Breuker. I'm Professor of Korean Studies at Leiden University. I work on Korean history, Northeast Asian history. I work with North Korean exiles and on North Korean human rights issues. My name is Imke van Gardingen. Um, I have an MA in Korean Studies and European Employment Law and I've practiced labor law for several years and recently I've started working for the Dutch Federation of Trade Unions as a policy advisor on labor migration. Now we know who Remco and Imke are, we ask Remco to give us a brief introduction of the report. The report is basically um, it, it's part of a larger project looking into North Korean overseas labor. And we focused on Poland for the first installment of, of, the, of the process of the, of the research, really. Uh, and what we found is um, uh, clear and unambiguous evidence of uh, forced labor um, going on in Poland um, at shipyards, construction sites, tomato farms, in which DPRK laborers are um, employed by Polish companies and um, um, lent uh, or sent there really by the North Korean government uh, while um, all the restrictions that we associate with life in North Korea uh, were still in place. So they, they live North Korean lives on European or EU soil, um, have to uh, have no really freedom to speak of, have to um, 
um, don't, don't get paid for what they do. The, their labor is, is basically, as far as they're concerned, is almost um, uh, unpaid. They, they maybe get to keep 10% of, of their wages, can't read newspapers, can't access the internet, can't mingle with local people, and um, uh, many different kinds of abuses going on, in other words. So, it is the case that at the moment, the North Korean government has set up a very sophisticated system within the EU, which facilitates forced labor of North Koreans. We asked Imke if she could elaborate on the specific situations these workers are in and which EU legislation is being violated. We found many fault violations. Uh, workers do not receive a contract and documents um, that have written signatures of, of the workers on them have proven to be forged. The workers have no knowledge of the height of their salary and in all the testimonies the worker, workers mention that their salary is not clear and can fluctuate somewhere between 70 and 130 US dollars a month. Um, some workers claim they only receive pocket money for cigarettes and beer, and one person claimed that the worker was punished for an offense by withholding his full salary for the duration of one year. And the Polish inspectorate, for example, reported 12-hour working days, six-day working weeks, and testimonies add that every two to three days the working hours were extended. And if work was not completed, workers worked nights as well. Well, clearly these are violations concerning um, wages, overtime pay, um, working environment, and um, these are reflected in human rights violations, forced labor, criminal law even, if you can see the forged uh, signatures. Um, migration law, you, you, you can name a lot of violations in a legal context. Um, well, one specific case gives a clear picture of the variety of violations in one workplace. In August 2014, um, a North Korean welder died in a horrible accident at Christ Shipyard. An eyewitness testified that he was welding pipelines inside a tank when a sudden flame ignited his clothes and at the crime scene the inspectorate observed several violations. There was no written authority, authorization for work in the tank, no supervision, no safety measures in place, like a second individual remaining outside the tank, no harness and no safety line, just to name a few. And this company Christ is a leading shipyard company in the EU. Thanks to Imke, we now know the gravity of the situation the North Korean workers are in and what EU laws are being violated by having them work within the EU. We are wondering why North Korea goes through the trouble of putting their workers here and ask Remco if he could explain this to us. The simple answer is uh, money. It's, it's that simple. Um, the North Korean government has been strapped for cash for a long time and it's only gotten worse um, since the, 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 the ruler at the moment, the dictator Kim Jong-un, got, to, got um, uh, in power. The um, traditional avenues for North Korea to, to earn hard, foreign, uh, hard uh, currency have for a large part been shut down either by the sanctions uh, imposed by the EU and by the UN or by, for example, the suspension of joint projects with, with South Korea. So it, it, it's of a crucial importance to the North Korean regime in order to be able to, to keep surviving to earn hard currency. And one of the ways they do uh, this is by sending out, um, by dispatching North Korean workers to all parts of the world, um, at least 42 countries. 
Um, somewhere between 100 to 200,000 laborers are um, estimated to work at this very moment for the DPRK. In itself, this is not a problem. Uh, in itself, this may be legal, depending on the country where these people are sent, because they usually go there with working visas and, and um, residence permits. But what happens afterwards is, of course, is often illegal. It's extortion, uh, abuse. Um, but it's um, it's basically a replication of the North Korean system abroad. So we heard Remco say this, but it can be easy for an outsider to say this about the European Commission. We were wondering how an insider, someone who works at the highest European level, thinks about this. So we approached a member of the European Parliament, namely Agnes Jongerius, and requested an interview for our podcast. After communication back and forth, she agreed to have the interview, but it had to be over the phone, and for security reasons, she had to be the one calling us. So we sat up in a room and waited for the call. What you're about to hear is a recording of that call. My name is Agnes Nogerius. I'm uh, since 2014 member of the European Parliament on behalf of the PvdA, the Social and Democrats from the Netherlands. Before this, I worked for the trade union movement for 25 years uh, and uh, the last seven years as the president of the largest trade union confederation in the Netherlands, FNV. What we are wondering is, uh, from your position, uh, with a background in labor politics, um, where do you see the greatest deficits in this issue with the North Koreans working uh, in the EU? Is it the laws, the enforcement, maybe the politics or the administration? Uh, in this case, I should say it's mainly enforcement. That's the big problem uh, because no law per se would uh, in a way make possible what's happening in Poland with the North Koreans. We have uh, laws to regulate uh, people from outside the EU uh, when they want to come to work uh, here. And in, this, in addition to that, we also have European laws on labor time and remuneration. So I think in this situation, it's clearly a lack of enforcement uh, from the side of the Polish authorities. And whether or not this is due to political reasons, I cannot really answer that question. Could be possible, but I really cannot say. Mm. Yes, thank you. Um... So, in relation to that uh, enforcement issue, would you say that there's also an enforcement issue on the EU level? Uh, we were uh, first mainly prompted by the uh, FICE report on this uh, uh, problem. And uh, when this excellent report, Slaves to the System, appeared, uh, we had a clear proof uh, to bring this case to the European Commission. And By the way, the FICE report that Agnes mentions is called Cash for Kim. If you want to know more about this subject, definitely check it out. Uh, we asked uh, questions to the European uh, quest, uh, uh, Commission, and in a way, their answer was much more straightforward than usual. Uh, because, uh, to be uh, totally honest, answers for the European uh, Commission are, in most of the time, still a little vague. Uh, but this answer was quite uh, straightforward, and uh, although. 
uh, they admit that they recognize the problem, uh, or as they say, the allegations of a problem. Uh, uh, they were saying, yes, we are indeed in communication with the Polish authority. Um, uh, and uh, although the answer was quite straightforward, it took them twice as long to answer the question. Uh, and in a way, uh, let me say, I can understand that the European Commission is saying we want to do our own research first eh? uh, before they can outrightly accuse a member state of a big violation of EU. Uh, uh, but uh, on the other hand, it's also totally clear you cannot push this only uh, as a uh, uh, responsibility of the Polish authority if the European Commission isn't uh, reacting to this excellent report, uh, which is clear. Uh, uh, if and, and, and I'm totally convinced that if they are going to dive into it themselves, they will also find proof uh, uh, of the same uh, slavery kind system, uh, then they cannot only say it's up to the Polish government because then they also should, uh, if a member state don't uh, apply the EU law, uh, it's for the European Commission to try to make them uh, apply this EU law or, or else make other steps. Yes. I was just wondering, um, have you asked uh, for clarification in regards to the monitoring from the Commission, and um, what response would you expect from them? Um, and in, on the, in the first set of questions, their answer was straightforward, uh, saying huh, it's up to the Polish uh, uh, government. Uh, uh, but uh, because we were not satisfied with that question, we uh, asked a new set uh, uh, of questions. Uh, we posed new questions on exactly this issue. What is the European Commission uh, uh, going to do? Is the Commission going to investigate Poland? Uh, and how are uh, they? Uh, so how is the European Commission going to make sure that something like this will not happen again? in Poland, but uh, let me say in Poland or any other member state, because uh, um, uh, the uh, documentation of the vice report uh, documented this system uh, in Poland. But I am not totally convinced that this is only happening in Poland. So uh, I think for the European Commission uh, is to, uh, the, uh, the, the question is, what are you going to do in the direction of Poland? How are you going to, uh, in a way, get your own information? And next to that, what are you going to do to prevent this from happening again? So it appears to us that the European Commission is very hesitant to take a strong stance in the issue. We asked Imke and Remko if they thought that it was likely that the situation was going to change in the future. How do you see this developing in the future? Do you think the problem is going to get worse? Yes. Yeah, again, the short answer is yes. Um, the thing is, it's not easy to combat uh, because this takes place in so many different countries, uh, 42. So you need institutions or uh, like the organizations like the ILO or the UN or the EU to actively do something against this. 
um, and you can do that on a, you can do that on a policy level. But then again, of course, you have to also combat the um, actual occurrences, which will not be easy. It will take time. It will take um, investment. Uh, you need manpower to do this. And then the biggest problem I see is that. Um, there's too much money involved. It's not just North Korea that benefits from this scheme. It's also the local companies that hire really high-quality labor, um, and they don't join unions. They can't, and they won't. They work 16 hours a day if you make them, six, six days a week, sometimes even seven days a week. They don't complain. They work hard. They're highly qualified, and you pay them peanuts. And that's a proposition that's really hard to reject for some for some companies. Um, and put and if you combine that with the lack of political will we have witnessed from, for example, the EU to do something about this, um, my view is is relatively is is rather pessimistic. This this will get worse. As it always is, once the mic is off, more comes out. Imke and Remco told us after the interview that the new funding they have received this January will go into investigating many more EU member states who are likely to be incredibly guilty of the same illegal activities. The only problem is that the documentation and records in these countries don't have the same degree of transparency as the Polish records have. They said that the only reason that Poland was in the spotlight now is because they were following EU procedural law and have everything recorded. Countries such as Austria, Germany and the Netherlands haven't done so and as a result it will be more difficult to find violations in these countries. Knowing this, one question that is left is, what should you do? Agnes Nogerius says the following about this. The first thing I should say to the broader public, uh, uh, please pay attention, dive into this issue uh, and realize that um, exploitation on the labor market is not something from uh, 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 elsewhere, but it's also happening on European soil. And if with me uh, you think it's important that Europe uh, is showing a social face, um, uh, then please uh, uh, get uh, uh, acquainted uh, with the research, ask questions. Uh, uh, be curious uh, because I think the more public attention there is for this problem, uh, the more policymakers will feel uh, the necessity to uh, uh, respond. And of course, I know we cannot end all exploitation uh, in one day, uh, but I think we really need to uh, put pressure on this problem and pressure always starts and with, uh, um, with introdu uh, introducing this problem, uh, showing that uh, these workers from North Korea, of course, uh, it's a um, uh, they're coming from a, a, a very far away country, but this is also a human beings, uh, and no one uh, wants to be exploited. Um, uh, and I think from a human perspective. Uh, we should uh, be curious to the story, uh, get acquaintance to the stories, and then just ask questions to your national policymakers, to your national politicians, and of course also to your European policymakers and politicians, because uh, we can change this situation, but it takes a lot of pressure. So for now, stay curious, dive into the issue, spread the word and as a result just maybe increase societal pressure. 
so that policymakers put this issue that is so devastating for the people involved on their agenda. This Nomos Phone episode was brought to you by Valentin Peine and Catherine Skinner. We would like to thank Adrian Hernandez and especially Philip Payment for their help and Tilburg University for enabling us to make this episode. But most importantly, we would like to thank the Center of Korean Studies at Leiden University, more specifically Remco Breuker and Imeke van Gardingen, for their efforts in investigating this topic, reaching out to us and participating in this podcast. Additionally, we would like to thank Agnes Jongerius for her participation and efforts in this issue. And finally, thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.